When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Screen Talk. Um, I'm Ann Thompson. I'm Ryan Latanzio. And we are uh, looking at television is what we're doing right now. We're taking, we, we've seen all the movies. We've seen everything. We're, you know, there's a few things out there. I saw Bob Marley, for example. Uh, although Kingsley Benadir is very good in the movie. Very, very good. It doesn't work. And it's it, that's one of those cases where you realize Ah, oh, they didn't get it ready in time for the fall festivals. They didn't open it in time for Christmas. They pushed it back. They had all sorts of reasons, supposedly, for not being finished. Um, but for a Plan B movie to not connect at this level is really surprising, I have to say. Well, and it's coming out in February, which never really bodes well anyway. No. I, I Candidly, I did not see the movie. Um, I, I plan to eventually, but I'm not super, I'm not so much, after just seeing the reviews, which broke like maybe 30 minutes ago, I'm not really rushing out to get to that one. Well, the music is fun, you know, but it's one of those things where you're like, first of all, <laughs> it must have been an issue with the estate because, because you have the... Um, you just have all of these questions that aren't answered right away and you can't understand the language a lot of the time. I admit this. I, I got through it. I, I understood most of what was going on, but there were times when I didn't get it because the patois is so thick and they stuck to it. They they went for the genuine Jamaican thick accents. Some of the concerns you have about this movie as a biopic are the ones that I have about the one coming out in May about Amy Winehouse, the Sam Taylor Johnson directed Back to Black. I just feel like that one can't be super good either, but, you know, here well, it is. Well, it's hard to happening. compete with the Asaf Kapadia uh, documentary that was so good, you know, where you have a real documentary that does not hold back. When you're dealing with these estates, when you're dealing with, you know, hagiography is inevitable. You know, you cannot uh, tell the truth, finally, because that's what it comes down to. No, and, and you also, you ultimately can't get really good art out of having an estate weighing in on, you know, the story that you're telling all the time. And I think, you know, not to like go back to May, December, but I think this was one of the points of that movie. It was like, when you are, when you have, you know, this is what happened with that movie is that the guy who uh, was the husband of Mary Kay Letourneau, he came out and said stuff about the movie that then sort of torpedoed its awards chances. But I think the movie actually was sort of a comment on how, when you are too involved in the story of your own life, there's no way that it can possibly be told very well. But that's I true. digress. That's, that, that's true. All right. So let's do our TV stuff. So we're still keeping up with uh, True Detective, which is just deliriously fun for me. I, I actually, they actually got a Yelp out of me last week, which, which is hard to do. You know, a jump scare. Of course, I'm enjoying True Detective as well. But I do partly feel like a show such as True Detective could possibly be maybe above doing these kind of jump scares that it is doing. It has very much gone into the supernatural terrain. Thriller. And thriller. Yeah. Yeah. Thriller and a little schlocky in this sense. 
Uh, no, but I mean, I mean, it's still, uh, if you don't think that this show is good, I don't really know what TV you're watching that could possibly be better, you know? <laughs> well, part of it is the environment, you know, the, the seventh day of night, you know, whatever part of it, you know, it's so cold and, and they're, and it's so threatening and it's so dark and it's vivid and it's still exotic after a few episodes now. Um, but part of it is that you care about these characters and they are so flawed and so fragile, even if uh, they're tough in some ways, that they're under threat. And and that's why it matters what happens to them. No, I mean, yeah, they, they certainly are flawed. And, and one thing that stood out to me from this week's episode was Jodie Foster driving drunk that to wasn't go good. see Christopher Eccleston. That was not a good move. <laughs> And he called her out on that. She ended up in a snowbank. I mean, nothing terrible happened, but uh, still uh, not not good. Reminds me of some of my moments at Sundance. N- never mind. <laughs> not driving, of course, I hope. <laughs> no. All right. So uh, and then the other. All right. So uh, so far, there's only what? Two episodes of Capote versus the Swans. Yes, so there are only I was two hoping to catch that up premiered. with episode three, but it hasn't happened yet. So that's what um, that's all we could talk about. So I've seen most of the show now on screener, and actually, episode three diverges in a very interesting direction because, and I think that it's clear in the filmmaking of this one that Gus Van Sant was sort of energized by this task, which is that episode three recreates this Maisel's Brothers documentary about this black and white ball that Truman Capote held. Where of course all of the various swans and other people came and people like Carson McCullers were cut, not allowed to attend. Uh, and and it's shot in the similar verite style of this original documentary, which I now have sort of revisited after seeing the show. I really like this show a lot, but we were talking about it earlier and I feel like you've sort of waned on it a bit after episode two. Episode one was good. And and I think the casting is really good. I, lo- I love Diane Lane as Slim Keith. I mean, Slim Keith is a character I've always been very attracted to. She used to be married to Howard Hawks. You know, she was a, a real lady and and tough. You know, her name was they called her Slim. That's the character that that Lauren Bacall was playing. And, you know, to have and have not. I mean, the, 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 she was a huge influence on Lauren Bacall. So anyway, that's I digress. <laughs> I digress. But but there's also um, um, my favorite is, is, of course, Babe Paley, who is a great role for Naomi, Naomi Watts and shows her uh She's she's an actress who started strong and did well with David Lynch. And then somehow, Mulholland Drive, somehow she she lost some of her luster over the years. And it's hard to, you know, actually understand the reasons for that. But you see what a great actress she is in, in that. She's the most interesting character. And Treat Williams is really good. The late, great Treat Williams, who I used to know back in New York. Um, so that was sort of, um, he was really good. He, he, uh, I felt, um, a little frisson there. Um, anyway, so, and of course, Tom Hollander, he is very good as Capote, but episode two spends a lot of time on the deterioration of his health, on his drinking, on all of these, uh, you know, the, the, the swans shutting him out after he exposes them. And I was feeling like the show was peaking. Like, where do you go from here? So you're answering that question. You know, he's already yeah. in the decline phase when he goes to that awful Thanksgiving dinner and gets beat up. Yeah, exactly. Time. And I mean, I, I mean, I, 
I can't speak to the competition, but I would say I feel like Tom Hollander is going to win an Emmy for this. And, you know, what's funny is that it's like, yes, the spirit of Truman Capote is alive and well with him. But I also feel like the spirit of Philip Seymour Hoffman as Truman Capote also is sort of regenerated here. Uh, I mean, he's terrific. And I do the show as it goes on, it is a bit much of him sort of circling the drain which yeah. of course was the reality. And, you know, late, late into the 60s, he had a, uh, and I forget who the host was, he had a very bad public uh, interview that he did on television where he really sort of, it was very obvious how inebriated and sort of dissipated that he had become. And so the show kind of doesn't totally know what to do with that. And I do feel like it also doesn't totally establish the this wonderful alchemic friendship that he has with Babe Paley that we're really supposed to believe in. It doesn't really I tell it was us. established, but it wasn't. I feel like they moved away from it too fast. I agree with you. They, they should do. have gone into and, it in more depth. And, and, and they do come back to it later, but then sort of the timelines get sort of confusing. It's a show that I was really high on in the first couple episodes. And then I'm on, I think I'm on seven or something by now. I've sort of waned a bit and I'm coming back to it. But it is interesting about Naomi Watts that I feel like Hollywood hasn't really figured out what to do with her exactly. She after became she... on the B list somehow, as if she didn't. It must have been that they didn't consider her to be box office. I mean, that there was no evidence that she was a draw. Like Nicole Kidman became somehow became a draw. Or had her Oscars. dear friend Nicole Kidman. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oscars, her buddy. Yeah, exactly. So, so what's the difference? You know, they're both good actresses. So, how did Naomi yeah. Watts become the the B tier? And she started B list. I mean, maybe even C list because she was in like Children of the Corn movies. And she didn't. Her break for Mulholland Drive didn't happen until she was in her thirties. And I do think that her performance in that movie is really one of the great performances ever. Uh, especially, you know, you see her in this movie, you think she's sort of this like ditzy sort of arch sort of actress. And then there's a scene where she does an audition in the movie where she like totally melts down and it's a completely other performance and she's really incredible in it. And it's sort of sad that it's no one's ever quite figured out what to do with her. And this is certainly like the best role she's done in a long time. I've seen a few independent films that have come out at, you know, in, uh, you know, at Toronto or whatever that were perfectly good movies and she was perfectly good in them. It's just that they didn't register. They just didn't go anywhere. It's, it's sometimes the luck of the draw. You know, you, it isn't a question of what, how, how much talent you have. So the other thing, speaking of Nicole Kidman, the other thing we're watching is expats. So this is Lulu Wong, uh, obviously um, The Farewell. So she uh, has done this series uh, with, with uh, Nicole Kidman, which is quite ambitious and sprawling and has many characters and moves around. I haven't seen more than the first episode. This is part of what I'm reading. But the first episode is very strong, very, very strong. There's only one thing wrong with it, and that is that it is a grim story a story that is, is intense and, and a lot of deep, deep emotion and grief. And part of it is, is this couple that have, has, has lost a child. Nicole Kidman and her husband have lost a child. This is something we keep seeing over and over and over. And I'm kind of tired of it. Well, also, 
as much as I really like the show, the other thing that we keep seeing is Nicole Kidman as these very privileged, moneyed women yes. that are faced against trauma or grief. It's like we already saw it with the undoing. It's big little lies and even maybe a little bit in the uh What's the one where she's the cult nine perfect strangers? Like there's some of that there too. She kind of only ever plays this kind of person now. And uh, which is fine. I mean, that's, that's sort of her become her wheelhouse. She's very good in, in this show, which is very heavy in its way. Uh, She has a very good scene at the end of the first episode where she sort of breaks down and sings heart of glass by Blondie in a restaurant that I quite liked a lot. I mean, it's always really good to see her sort of come loose, which is rare. She's often this sort of buttoned up person. I mean, in real life, but also the people she's playing. And it's like, I think about a movie like The Paperboy, where she's very unhinged in that one. Oh, I love uh, that movie. Yeah. Yes. I don't no, love too. the movie. Me I love too. her in the movie. <laughs> she's so good in that movie. It's it just, it's, it's really nice to see her sort of unravel. And in this, it's again, it's a more of uh, sort of a controlled unraveling that we've sort of seen in the other shows. There is this scene that's very big, pivotal, see, besides the one that I also like that you mentioned. It, it's this big party scene and and the, the husband and wife are throwing a sort of celebration for his 50th birthday. And, and it's like, why are they having a party when this horrible thing happened to them only a year ago? And all these people are questioning them. But there, there's this elaborate party that goes on for a while. And Lulu Wang is really masterful, masterful in terms of how she covers it and what happens there and and the repercussions of it. it I was impressed. Uh, you haven't seen the second episode, but the ending of that episode is one of the most beautiful things that I've seen in a while, uh, which when you sort of, it sort of shows the gravity of what's happened with Nicole Kidman's character's son going missing in this Hong Kong flea market. And she's walking back to her apartment with her friend, uh, Hillary, who's played by um, Sarayu Blue. And there is a succession of jump cuts that sort of shows it's just the same shot of the two of them walking out of this market. Then it shows the same scene the following morning, that afternoon, then into the evening of just sort of life goes on, like these horrible things happen and everything just continues around you. Uh, and it's really uh, striking. I feel like I sort of underestimated Lulu Wong with the farewell, which I remember liking, but I don't. It didn't. No, it didn't shows, flatten she, me. Knows what she. This shows what she can do. Uh, I'm going to stick with it. I'll. I'll keep going. I'll keep going. Um, and then we have um, some industry news, which is David Laub, who's a senior executive, was at A24 very much part of their success story, actually. Distribution, marketing, understanding strategy. Um, He's one of those people that is behind a lot of the successes that they've had. And he's going over to Metrograph to start um, a different production distribution entity there. What do you think? Well, it's interesting, Metrograph Pictures. So they have a brick and mortar uh, in lower Manhattan. They have a theater theater. that shows repertory movies. And I've been to a lot of premieres there. Um, I actually go there pretty often. Uh, Their seats are pretty uncomfortable. But uh, (laughs) otherwise, they have a lot of really good programming. And and they did really well in the pandemic, um, having a subscription service uh, to sort of stream these repertory titles. 
you know, one of the movies that they brought back into the four was the Andre uh, Zalowski film Possession with Isabella Johnny. They do a really good job of bringing these movies back into the public imagination. And and so now they they want to try to get more into uh, like new film distribution and, and new film financing and probably check things out at festivals. Um, this guy, this guy, David Laub, um, he is one of those people from A24 that supported filmmakers like Joanna Hogg, uh, Kelly Reichert. Uh, he was behind the uh, A24 re-release of the Talking Heads concert film, Stop Making Sense, which we very both successful for them. enjoyed a lot. And it's, you know, he, when I use the example of Kelly Reichert, he has supported these filmmakers that I feel like A24 maybe doesn't super know what to do with so much anymore uh like they kind of busted it on the release of showing up earlier this year after first cow uh in 2019 these are not Uh, superbly commercial films i mean there's only so much you can do with them no it's true model and and now it seems like a24 is really invested in the more kind of movies that it can eventize or appeal to a younger market and merchandise as well in some way that's a really big I mean, thing even for them the zone also. Of interest is playing to a younger audience yeah it, i know and i and, and i think that's doing well without their efforts you know there was a clip no, that they're supporting premiered. It. They're, what do you mean without no their of course of course but there was like it's like there was a clip that they released on social media exclusively just before its wider theatrical release and it was captioned a day at the river and it's like, if you see that, you don't really, like, if I saw that, I'll be like, I don't know what it is that I'm going into. Maybe that's exactly right. Maybe they're provoking curiosity. I got to check this out. I got to see this. Yeah. They, they, yeah. I mean, the, the trick with, they, with, with the zone of interest, which I find fascinating, is it feels like it's picking up a lot of energy right now. Um, it's doing really well at the box office. It won a bunch of uh, London Film Critics Awards. It's probably going to win some BAFTAs on the 18th of uh, February. You know, it just feels like this movie has has momentum right now um, to catch up with other things. We'll see, we'll see. Which I'm really happy about because I feel like around Circa Toronto, uh, I didn't have that sense of momentum and I didn't no, even feel that as late as December. Time. It sort yeah. of has happened. Um, and, you know, Criterion Collection, or I'm sorry, Criterion Channel, uh, has just put a, a series of Jonathan Glazer's films available to stream, which I revisited a bunch of them over the weekend for another story. And so I would hope that that's driving some renewed interest to this always so interesting. You were ranking his films? There aren't that many of them. I know, I know. And I got some shit for that because it's like there's only five <laughs> to rank. <laughs> uh, so it wasn't that it wasn't that difficult. Um, but you know, I mean, and all of them are very good. I rewatched Sexy Beast, which was uh, Oscar nominated for Ben Kingsley, which was also very I good. I love that I mean, movie. Just, That's such a great movie, and and a violent yeah. movie, really, really. But and I love Under the Skin Brutal. too. Yeah, very. Oh, very under the skin. Good. That's that's the best one. That yeah. moment where she goes, where Scarlett Johansson's alien walks into this inky pool, amazing, amazing how he did that. Yeah, no, I mean, he, he shows you things that, that you've never seen before. You know, he, he really is singular with the in that zone way. Of interest. So, so we, I, I was pa- positing, I did a story uh, that'll come out today. I, you know, came out 
will have come out by the time this runs where, you know, maybe it'll win sound, you know, maybe it'll win along with international and maybe if anything could catch up with Oppenheimer, which nothing can, a Holocaust movie might have a chance. One that really knocks people's socks off. If anything does, it, it it would be that. And it is interesting how with this movie, it's like there's nothing that appeals more to the Academy than a Holocaust movie. And he managed to do this in an innovative way while sneaking in his own sort of art house sensibilities into the movie. Right. I agree with that. Oh, yeah. I went to see Anyone But You. Anyone But You being a romantic comedy that is actually a big hit at the box office. I'd have to look up where it is right now, but it's it's up there. And it's actually um, delightful and fun and sexy. And two well-matched actors, Glenn Powell, who I was sort of annoyed with during the Top Gun phase, the Maverick phase, because he was sort of saying, I'm a movie star. I don't sh- I shouldn't be playing supporting you know, roles. Well, I get it. He is a movie star now because this movie did well. And Sydney Sweeney is too. She's got some yeah. energy as a as a as a a leading lady going forward no and they have great chemistry and that also was sort of um buttressed by the fact that in the months leading up to the movie there was a lot of speculation about what was going on with the two of them behind the scenes because in many of their junket interviews they do have an obvious physical um chemistry but it's interesting about this movie that sony released it on december 22nd and they're in fact now tomorrow well it'll be today now that you're listening uh they're re-releasing an extended cut in theaters for valentine's day uh it's i think it's grossed 152 million so far i was just gonna look it up okay yeah Yeah, i i had i had some notes about that and 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 it's one that I, i you know i see on social media that like the seats are still constantly selling out for this one people are really turning out for it it. the theater had decent number it wasn't sold out but a a decent number of people were i went on one of the rainy days here in la so it was a little light yeah i I remember seeing the trailer and thinking i'll watch this on a plane but then i actually did see it in theaters and uh i liked it much more than i thought i would silly. it's silly but it's fun we are allowed to have fun at the movies and will gluck the director it knows what to do he knows how to make you laugh which is and and it's also one of these sort of familiar genres like um what was the other one with clooney and roberts forbidden uh, paradise oh uh, trip called? to paradise trip to paradise it's that sort of you know they're in an incredibly beautiful you know again everybody's very well healed there's no money problems with this group but um it, and he's playing with an ensemble cast and getting getting them all their moments and it really worked it worked well i had yeah. fun no it's it it's glossy, but it does work really well. And I do think that Glenn Powell is a movie star. Uh, Netflix will release Hitman, the Richard Linklater movie, later this year. And he's also excellent in that. And I spent, well, look, I don't want to say I spent time with him, but I was in his vicinity and spoke to him while I was at Sundance at a rather intimate press drinks kind of situation. And he's very charming. And his parents were both there and they were also very charming. I mean, he's just sort of this irresistible, adorable so He guy. and like later first got to know each other in Texas, right? He's part of the Austin scene there. Yeah, exactly. The, baseball exactly. movies. But the other thing I was going to say is that um, I think Sydney Sweeney 
has been, was maybe a little bit stuck in euphoria of being this Cassie character and sort of becoming this Gen Z icon. But I do think she has the potential to be uh, a better star. Uh, certainly in this reality winner movie that was nominated for an Emmy, uh, reality, she's very good in that. And she was very good in White Lotus. But you would say yes. that's a similar role to, you know, she was. The yeah, winner. yeah, I think exactly. She's ready to sort of graduate beyond these kind of roles where she's I'm playing curious a, to see what a, a she young ingenue. She's, she's clearly, you know, very, very smart. And then and then next up is the uh, Santa Barbara International Film Festival. We had Roger Derling on. And if you didn't, you know, check out that interview, he was he was a lot of fun. What happens is I'm going to go up. Um, I'm going to check out the Robert Downey tribute. I'm going to check out the producers panel. I'm going to check. Maybe I'll check out the international panel and on, and then maybe the virtuosos on Saturday night. I mean, there are these big, big um, the virtuosos is like a, a a whole long list of of Oscar nominees, basically. But Bradley Cooper is doing is is tonight. I'm not going to see that one. And then on Sunday night, I do the tribute for Mark Ruffalo for for Poor Things, which is going to be fun. You go through the whole career, and you have a yeah. No, I'm. I on the floor and you have to get through it in in a certain amount of time yeah you you've done some of these um career length tributes before like i remember you did isabelle Huppert one year forget some of the other ones i'm sad to not be going they they offered me a spot and i just i couldn't make it work this year here in new york York. and then and then the other uh thing i do is the writer's panel so that's on tuesday that'll be fun we're gonna get a good we have a good good list we're not gonna get uh at this point, we don't have Nolan or Gerwig or Bombeck, but we have just you know, just about everybody else. Pretty good. Well, what else are they doing? Why aren't they there? <laughs> I wish I knew, but it'll be good anyway. Sometimes we have everyone. Sometimes we don't have everyone. It's all a question of schedules, Yeah, what everybody has to do. And then what else? Uh, Dune 2 is starting to screen. And uh, even though I'm invited to see it on the 13th, um, I'll be in Santa Barbara. So I'm not going to see it until the 20th. It's making me crazy. I'm not, I'm not seeing it until the 20th either. Um, and But I do know some people who have seen it already and are that really like it. But I am told that it also ends again on another cliffhanger, which I guess uh, makes sense because he's talking about, uh, Danny Villeneuve was talking about doing Dune Messiah, even though I haven't read the books in a while, but I don't recall it ending in a cliffhanger in this way. So I guess it's just an invitation to sort of continue the the franchise. But this movie isn't even a sure deal, Dune Messiah. There's still, no, the script is yet. still they in the works. They have to see how, how the script turns out and, and how the box office goes on this. Uh, the box office on the last one was sort of impacted by the decision to go day and date with it. So, uh, but they did well anyway. They did very well. I can't wait to see it. Uh, I hear, I do hear good things. And then the other, um, so that could be a big one for the box office, which could use a lift. Um, and then the other thing is coming up is Berlin. Uh, neither of us is going to Berlin. Um, is there anything showing there that we care about that might come back to the United States? Well, there's some films there that already have um, U.S. distribution, like um, Spaceman, which is a Netflix movie that's then premiering not long after Berlin on March 1st, which is um, a, a sort of cosmic love story with um, Adam Sandler and Carrie Mulligan, directed by Jonah Rank, who directed oh, all yeah, the I episodes like of Chernobyl, who yeah. we like a lot. 
Um, other buzzy titles include there's a neon horror movie, Cuckoo, um, speaking of Euphoria, starring Hunter Schaefer in her first lead role. Uh, there's a Rune and Mara movie called La Cochina from the director of a cop movie. And I don't even want to attempt to pronounce his name because I will botch it. Um, but I, but then there's some things from Sundance that are going there, like Love Lies Bleeding and A Different Man. And there is one movie that I saw that I guess I can't really talk about that I liked quite a lot um, called Crossing, which is opening the panorama section uh, directed by Levin Aachen, who was the director of uh, And Then We Danced which was the Swedish Oscar submission for uh, 2020. So I did see Drive Away Dolls, which is Ethan Cohen and um, his wife. And I will uh, talk about that next week when the embargo lives. I, and, my, and my question for that one is like, if it had come out like it was supposed to at Telluride in the fall, but then was moved because of the strikes, would it have been successful as a fall movie? We will address that next week. Until then, I want to say the balcony is closed. Where did that come from? <laughs> hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.